I'm Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. And I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. Welcome to the 11th episode of the All, All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others like it. This week on the show, we're going to talk about craft malt. Our guests are Zach Gaines of Proximity Malt, a craft maltster headquartered in Wisconsin with malt houses in Colorado and Delaware, and Jason Perkins of Allagash Brewing, the famed brewery based in Portland, Maine. This is an episode I've wanted to do for a while. I think we are at the forefront of a big movement in craft malt. The way craft beer began cutting a new path decades ago, I think craft malt has the potential to change not only beer, but also agriculture. Uh, If you remember episode one, when Kevin Davey of Wayfinder Beer told us that two-row malt today behaves like six-row malt, uh, and that's what uh, inspired him to make cold IPA, I think uh, craft malt is changing the ingredients available to brewers and might inspire new beers and flavors like it did uh, for Kevin. I totally agree. There's new sustainable malt varieties being used by large brands like Dogfish Head to more hearty barley varieties being introduced and local artisanal production, malt's a kind of unsung hero in beer. Let's not forget the adage that malt is the soul of the beer. So I'm really excited to talk with two excellent guests about all things malt. It's going to change beer. It's going to be amazing. It's going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll introduce our guests and get into a conversation. But first, we're going to take a moment to hear from our sponsors. And if you would like to help support this show, please reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer, inviting you to check out the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast. It's available on all of the major platforms, and the weekly show features long-form conversations with brewers, growers, and personalities from the beer industry. New episodes release every Wednesday. Just search Drink Beer, Think Beer. Zach Gaines works as the Director of Procurement for Proximity Malt, managing two different producer programs, which supply barley to malt houses in Monte Vista, Colorado, and Laurel, Delaware. Prior to joining the Proximity team, he worked for a French-owned international plant breeding company called Limagrain, managing sales and marketing of wheat and barley varieties in the United States. Zach's first position out of college was with Anheuser-Busch InBev, where he held different roles in the barley breeding program before transitioning to the brewing side of the business for several years as a group manager in Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thanks for having me. So um, tell us about craft malt and why it is important and different from what I'll call big malt, I guess. <laughs> yeah, big, yeah, big malt, macro malt. <laughs> macro malt. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a great question and, and it's a really important one just in terms of all the way down to the supply chain to the farm level. But I think, you know, it starts with, with the inherent differences in craft beer and 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 traditional domestic beer or you know all malt beer versus adjunct style beer and i think you know when you look at the at the malt bill or the grain bill for those two different products that is kind of where the story starts Um, i think a fun way to think about it is that when you're brewing beer there's kind of two different microscopic armies that go out and do work uh, in different parts of the brewing process. And, and the first one is when you're actually converting starch from sugar, there's starch to sugar. And then the second one is when you're converting 
that sugar to alcohol. And um, when you think about barley and kind of the first microscopic army, those, that's a microscopic army of, of enzymes, which I think about them almost like they're millions of little microscopic lumberjacks. And they go out and they chop up starch molecules and they turn them into sugar molecules. So if you think about, you know, when someone mashes in a brew and it's in conversion, you've got barley in there, uh, you know, almost likely if you're a, if you're a craft brewer and you're doing all malt, all malt, you've got nothing but barley in there. So almost 100% of your of your grist is going to be barley. Mm -hmm. Where with a with a adjunct style or a traditional domestic, you know maybe 60% or 50% of that grain bill is going to be barley, and the rest is going to be, you know, just a starch. You know maybe it's corn grits, maybe it's rice and the barley brings the lumberjacks, the lumberjack army to the party, uh, and and really the you know the adjunct doesn't. So whatever you put in that in that mash ton, the work needs to get done. And so if you think about you know a traditional domestic beer, those lumberjacks need to pull more than their weight in terms of right. of making that conversion. Whereas a um, in an all malt brew. It only has to pull its own weight, which goes down to the kind of the inherent difference in barley because those enzymes come with come in each seed inside of a you know in every barley kernel it's bringing starch to that party, and it's also bringing the enzymes. So that's kind of that's kind of how I've always pictured it. <laughs> so what what is kind of the negative of having so for an all malt mash, what would be the problem with having too many lumberjacks? Yeah. Well, I mean, with enzymes, I mean, if you think about, about what's inside of a barley seed, there's, I mean, very simplistically, you can say there is starch in every seed and there is protein. And so the enzymes come from the protein portion of a seed. Um, the higher the protein you have, or the more, the higher the percentage of protein inside every barley kernel, the more enzymes you're going to have, uh, likely the more that there's a positive correlation with free amino nitrogen as yeah. well, but more importantly, the less starch you're going to have. So, you know, for every percent of starch you give up, which is a 1% gain in protein, you're, you're, you're really losing extract on the end. So, you know, for a, for a traditional domestic brewer, it's not, I mean, it's not on unlikely to see 13% protein. Um, because that will bring, you know, the enzymatic package or, you know, brewers would refer to that as diastatic power and it will have enough enzymes to, to get the job done and enough free amino nitrogen to, to go through a lagering phase. Um, but there are, they are probably giving up a little extract. So if I'm a craft brewer and I'm thinking about every barley kernel that I'm getting, I'm thinking, man, if I don't need the fan and don't really want it, and I don't need quite so much enzymes, I sure would take a little bump in extract is kind of the way I view it. So you were saying like for a, for a barley that is made for an ex, for a adjunct brewer, as much as 13% protein, by contrast, how much would be like in a proximity malt, how much protein would there be? Yeah. We're, I mean, we're going to be closer to 11%. Oh, okay. I think that, 
you know, so there, I mean, there could be a 1%, 2% difference. Um, and that would be for, like you said, an, an all malt grist. Um, yeah. You know, but I would, I mean, I would tell you that there are dangers in getting too low. I mean, you have to remember, you know, the protein does bring, I mean, free amino nitrogen is a, is a yeast nutrient. So it's necessary in all types of beer. Um, and the enzymes are necessary. So I think if you were to get down under 9%, then I think you start, you know, you start messing with the quality um, and the ability of, of your grist to actually get the conversion done on time. So, I mean, there, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, we're going to be right down right around 11% as a target. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So um, thank you for all that background on malt and enzymes and lumberjacks. Uh, can you give us some background on proximity then and what makes proximity different from um, mega malt, we'll call them? Oh, I like mega <laughs> malt. That's good. <laughs> you know, proximity, it's a really unique company um, because it's, I mean, it is not a craft maltster, um, you know, by any measure. But like you said, it's not, it's not a behemoth, you know, large maltster and it's not associated with a single, you know, brewing entity. Um, but I think the hyper-local focus was, was one of the, was one of the reasons proximity started. We have a malt plant in Southern Colorado in the middle of the San Luis Valley, which is, you know, there's some incredible barley growers, you know, that are five miles from our malt house. Um, and then the other one is in Laurel, Delaware, which is, um, located in the middle of an emerging winter malting barley area which is which is super cool because you're, you're taking an opportunity to to farms out there that didn't exist uh, before proximity was there but you know with those two locations um we sell malt all over the u.s and to, to all different sizes uh, of breweries and we're able to you know source from two different areas but still achieve you know a similar product in both locations so you know, the, the thing that really attracted me to, to working with Proximity is their size and the fact that they're not so big that you're turning a battleship if you want to make to do some progressive things in terms of raw materials. But you're also not so small that if you do something, it, it doesn't matter on a larger scale. So it's the, it's the perfect size to, to kind of lead change. Um, you know, and for me, that's of course is at the farm level being that I work with our producers. Right. Right. So can you um, dive into that a little more, like in terms of your relationship with farmers and my understanding is that you work with some uh, different barley varieties, which allows you to work more directly with farmers or, or those two concepts are somehow related. Yeah, they are. For, they absolutely are. And yeah, I, I like to say that I work with two, you know, main grower groups and, they're, I mean, the wonderful thing is that they're all farmers, um, which is, you know, I think if I can work my whole life and be able to interact with farmers, that would be, you know, the biggest check on a bucket list for me. So I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, but we work, you know, right now we work with between about 50 and 60 different farms in each area. And um, in Colorado, the San Luis Valley, you know, based on where it's at geographically, I mean, it is cold in the winter, like not, not winter crop survivable cold, you know, that's certainly not winter barley. So 
Um, the varieties we use in Colorado are spring planted. So they're planted in, in March, harvested in, in August. And with our producer group in the Mid-Atlantic region, um, we have producers in, in Maryland, Delaware, Virginia, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. And those are winter malting barley types. So those are planted in October, you know, the month of October, some a little earlier, some a little later. And those are harvested in June. So they overwinter. So it's part of the reason I'm able to manage both is that the seasons kind of offset right. because of the of the different types. But you know, finding uh, genetics that work on the farm um, it, is a big part of what I do because you know there's a lot of new varieties coming out, both spring and winter types, and you can make step changes and improve uh, you know profitability of the the entire supply chain if you know what those genetics are and you can successfully put them on acres. So that's, um, that's one of my favorite parts of the job is I get to actually work one step before, you know, the farm portion of our supply chain with plant breeders to try and oh, find the I latest see. and greatest. Okay, cool. So is it correct to say that the farmers that you're working with just because of where they were geographically located and the climate could not grow barley for the mega monsters? You know, not not necessarily. Um, okay. You know, in possibly in in Delaware. So you know, in the Mid Atlantic region, that's a long ways away from some of the big monsters. Uh, so that's that winter barley market is one that that we're developing, and there are other craft monsters out there who, who are doing the same thing yeah. that we are. But I think it, in that region, you know, because of our size, you know, we're we're actually the ones developing that market. And so I would say that that your statement, Don, would be true in in the Mid Atlantic region. Okay. In in Colorado, um, that you know Molson Coors, con I I don't know how much, but I know they contract some some barley in Colorado. So um, you know we're we're another option for producers there. Okay. Um, is, is there oh, a ahead. difference between spring and winter in terms of protein? or growth or would a brewer brewing a certain style want to use spring versus winter or does it not really matter? So it's a great question. Um, and, 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 it, and really it should not matter. I think that, you know, what, what really it comes down to is whether it's a spring planted variety or a winter planted variety, does it have the, the right malting characteristics at the end of the day. Now, winter malting barley in comparison to spring barley cultivars is much newer. Um, I mean, if you think about the amount of time um, people have been growing barley in Idaho, Montana, um, you know, I mean, you've got you got a hundred years of development and breeding work into spring cultivars. So I think that, you know, that the quality parameters are much more defined. Um, with, with spring cultivars versus winters, but but our the the thing we have going or kind of putting wind in the sails of of winter malting barley is that they have they are used in European countries. So it's not you know while while efforts to breed you know domestically bred you know from like American universities or breeding companies for winter are just now that chain is kind of just now starting to catch where we're seeing some good material. There are there's some very strong European cultivars that, that work over here, but 
um, to answer your question. And um, I would say that there should not be, but I think winter barley is is starting to get there now where it can, can compete at the same level in terms of you know extract, which is what's most important to everybody. Great. So, you know, craft beer, depending on how you define it and when you when you pin the beginning of the movement is, you know, maybe 50 years old now. What has been the problem? Like, why is it so hard to make change in the malt industry? Yeah, and that is, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is a can of worms for sure. But I I can tell you that, you know, a plant breeder is, they have a really hard job because they serve three masters in terms of of a brewing supply chain. They need to release a variety that works well on a farm. So if I'm a farmer, um, I, I need it to yield a little bit more than my old option because I know the old option and I know how to grow it. So, you know, what's my opportunity cost for, for changing and taking on a new line? And if I'm a monster, I'm thinking, well, I know how the varieties that, that I'm using, I know how they work. I know what their hydration times are. I can dial in my extract and then you know, anybody who's ever worked um, at a brewery, I mean, having to redial in an entire brew house and fermentation department around crop year changes, you know, things that maybe are even the same varieties. I mean, not only is it a pain, but it, I mean, it costs money. So it's a, it's an industry that is built to run with, with consistency. And, and by introducing a new variety, you are, you're disrupting that in some way, even though the whole, you know, new genetics provide an opportunity for people to make more money. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's that level of change that is that is hard. Um, so when you're introducing new varieties, it is, you really have to convince three people, but I would argue that it's the job of the monster to really take the lead and take it on new genetics. Okay, cool. So is it for spearheading new initiatives for like genetics and whatnot, is that big malting or universities or who's, who's creating these new, um, new cultivars? Like I'm, I'm really fascinated by it. Cause it reminds me, I think a lot of hop production, but maybe it's not. No, I would say that it is. I mean, I okay. think that, it, you know, it, it's a longer process uh, to, to bring on a new small grain, you know, barley or wheat than it would be, uh, you know, in hops, just in terms of the investment and the time um, that it takes. But I mean, right now there's, I think there's 23 to 25 different universities in the US who breed for small grains, you know, and I would say all of those are, have wheat breeding programs um, on some level or wheat trialing programs. And then a subset of those um, are also working on, on barley, you know, um, Oregon State University, University of Idaho, Montana State University, North Dakota State University of Minnesota, Cornell, Michigan State, um, Virginia Tech, I think maybe even University of Maryland and North Carolina State. So those are public institutions that that are that are actively breeding and trying to find new cultivars. And then you also have you know larger breeding companies, and um, a lot of those are kind of multinational. I mean, I used to work for a French-owned company called Lima Grain, and they had three different programs. Um, 
in Europe. Uh, you have companies like KWS, which is a, a German company. Um, so there's a lot of people, at the end of the day, there are a lot of new varieties coming. These are all pipelines. And it's kind of like where the where you run into the problem is they're like, hey, we've got something. We think it's better. Um, brewing industry, could you take a look at this? Could you find ways, you know, if you if it feels like it fits, how do we actually get this out on acres? And that is where it gets hard. Right. Right. Because the farmers won't plant it unless they have a buyer. And the only buyers is the malt houses. And the malt houses will only buy it if they have a buyer. Uh, and the only buyers are breweries. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is that is exactly how it is. And it honest, I mean, it takes a whole supply chain to want that change to happen. And again, there are a lot of reasons why why that why that's a challenge. Right. But but it still happens. Um, and and back to a, a point you made earlier, you know the there was a time when there was when there were not craft specific varieties where you know Anheuser-Busch has a breeding program also Coors has a breeding program um so I mean they're they're gonna brew they're gonna breed barley varieties for their styles of beer and I think that there was a, a portion of time where craft brewers were essentially using varieties that that were bred for for adjunct style beer so I think just the fact that craft beer now has such a huge presence and they, you know, per barrel, they use, you know, two to three times as much barley as a traditional domestic brewer. They now have a, have a, have a voice. So you're starting to see varieties that are, that are suited specifically for craft and, and benefit craft brewers begin to get out on bigger acres. Is, the, is there anything in the pipeline that's coming down that you're like, hell yes. Let's, yes. you know, <laughs> there's a lot of things that are actually that's, um, you know, part of my role with proximity is to is to look at that, to look at those new varieties and do research. And, you know, at our plant in Colorado, um, we're, we're fortunate to have Colorado State University uh, research extension down there and they're the bulk of the work they do is on potatoes, but they're able to do small grains work. So um, we had a trial with them and, you know, we looked at 14 new varieties um, along with some of the ones we use now. And I mean, there's some stuff that just blew my mind in terms of mm -hmm. the top end yield potential. Um, That's exciting. And then, yeah. yeah. And the same thing in the mid-Atlantic, I think, you know, a breeding cycle you know, and that's from a time when a plant breeder makes a new cross. So you've got something brand new, you know, they put a mom and a dad together and you have hopefully something that's better. Um, from that time until you actually have enough seed where you can put it in the field or on a, you know, a few acres to really kind of kick the tires at the farm level, it's going to be anywhere from, you know, seven to 10 years. And I think AMBA, the American Malting Barley Association, they put a lot of a lot of a lot of effort and, and resources into kind of bolstering development of of new cultivars. And a lot of that's been in the winter barley. So mm -hmm. we're just kind of now starting to see the fruit, um, you know, specifically from Virginia Tech. I mean, we're we're gonna be launching helping them uh, launch a new variety called Avalon that is a it's an you know an American bred new winter two-row barley and it's I think it's going to be an instant improvement in extract. Uh, 
you know, versus what's currently available. So stuff like that is really exciting because these varieties exist and they can literally save money for an entire supply chain. You just have to know where to find them. Right. Um, we sort of glossed over it. Can you just, in terms of size, talk about how big like the mega monsters are versus how big proximity is versus how big, you know, the smallest malt house might be? Yeah, I mean, you know, the smallest, you know, I think craft monsters and they're of all sizes. And and for and one, I just want to say that I think they provide, you know, craft monsters provide a huge value to the industry because they're, I mean, they are hyper local. You know, there, there's, there are beers I know. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and there's, a, and there's a couple of really cool craft monsters here. And I know I've drank beer on tap in town that the barley has traveled from the field to their malt house to a tap less than like six miles. So, oh, wow. you know, yeah. being able to, to do something like that is amazing. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the smallest, um, People, I mean, they might be able to to contract, you know, a hundred or two hundred acres um, of barley, you know, with an with an average yield of, you know, around a hundred bushel per acre, and that might that might be what they do for a year. And, okay. You know, I mean, I mean, the biggest monsters. I mean, you're talking about, you know, I mean, if you think about the amount of malt that Anheuser Busch would need, I mean, they have twelve domestic breweries that. You know, probably brew between eight and fourteen million barrels a year each. Um, so, I mean, that is a that is a huge amount of barley and amount yeah. of malt uh, needed for that. And I'd say, you know, proximity we're in the middle between between the craft monsters and you know, I mean, we are you know very small compared to to the likes of someone like Molson Coors or Anheuser Busch, but you know, we're much bigger. Um, than than what you would consider a traditional craft monster if that if that kind of answers it. Right. I'd say we're the perfect size to the perfect size to be progressive is kind of <laughs> like um we're running short on time. I did want to ask, you know, for the average beer drinker, uh if you could sum up for the average beer drinker why they should care about craft malt and what they can do to help support uh craft malt. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think if they if if the average beer drinker cares about you know the agricultural farm communities that where their ingredients come from for their beer, then they can absolutely do something um, about it. And I think that's as simple as you know if you if you have a favorite brewery or a few breweries, I mean, just asking the question, hey, where do you uh, where do you source your malt? You know, is there anybody local? Um, you know, a lot of breweries are trying. You know, they're trying to ascertain the value of, you know, because you know, craft malt. Um, you know, and I would exclude proximity for this, but but craft malt is, is likely going to be more expensive. You know, in terms of just you know price per per weight than than a larger malting company. Um, so. Craft brewers are looking for the value there. You know why should you know why why should we spend this money? Um, and if customers care and they care about local um, and they care that that those that that their malting that their brewer is using malt that is bred specifically for craft beer, 
an adjunct style of beer, just making that known can, can honestly make a difference that will, and that message can travel all the way down to the farm level. So I think right. just showing they care and asking questions. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. Em, did you have uh, any other questions? I, uh, I guess my last question would be like, what's the future of malt? Like what, what do you see coming down the like pipeline? I mean, we already talked about that, but like, is there anything you wish would happen or do you see, where, where do you see proximity going? But I mean, I think the trucks and, you know, so I answer the first question first. I mean, I, I feel like, like hopefully the future is recognizing the value in, in supply chains beginning to get closer together because I think there's a, I mean, there's a pile of breweries in the U.S. on the Atlantic coast and the nearest, you know, large monster to them is, you know, likely east of the, or west of the Mississippi river. So, you know, as brewers begin to value having ingredients that are closer and there's cost benefits, you know, in terms of logistics as well, I think that'll provide more opportunities for companies like Proximity who are willing to open up new areas where barley can be grown and kind of expand the presence of, of craft barley and, and the brewing industry. Um, you know, and for Proximity, I feel like, um, we are we have a, a success story that's happening in the mid-atlantic region with with winter malt and barley that's and i think that it's going to be a proof of concept that 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 can happen that there can be new opportunities at the farm level that brewers and distillers can can be closer to their ingredients and they but they need to support people willing to to open up these new markets awesome very cool stuff yeah um, Zach, if people want to learn more about proximity and what proximity is up to, where can people find you? Yeah, um, they can, they can call me. Uh, you know, I love talking to people in the industry. Um, you know, and, and I'll I mean, I'll give you my phone number. It's 970-402-2934. Um, but my, my email address is, uh, just Zach, Z-A-C-H dot G at proximitymalt.com. Um, and you can go to our website as well. So I appreciate you all making some time to hear about what we're doing. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. Thank you very much, Zach. Thank you both. Jason Perkins is the brewmaster and vice president of brewing operations encompassing the departments of warehouse supply chain, production, packaging, and quality at Allagash. Jason has been a part of Allagash since 1999. He currently sits on the board of the Brewers Association, American Malt and Barley Association, and Allagash Wilderness Waterway Foundation, and is actively involved with the Hop Quality Group. He's the chair of the Brewers Association's Technical Committee, a former board member of the Master Brewers Association of the Americas New England, as well as the Maine Brewers Guild, and is the recipient of the 2016 Russell Shearer Award for Innovation in Craft Brewing. When Jason is not working, he enjoys hanging with his family, exploring the many beautiful wild places in Maine, and playing ice hockey. He lives in North Yarmouth with his wife, Julie, and two children. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for your time. Um, you know, I think, I think most beer drinkers, or certainly a lot of beer drinkers, are familiar with Allagash and your award-winning beers. Um, but uh, we want to talk to you about malt. And I know that Allagash does some interesting things for 
in terms of malt procurement. And so um, I guess the first question would be if you could kind of describe that process and maybe how that process maybe has changed over the last last few years. Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to. Yeah, I mean, we've our, it's changed dramatically how, you know, the grain and malted barley we're purchasing here has changed dramatically in the last, you know, 10 years, I'll say for sure. Okay. And, you know, uh, directionally also, or not directionally, but volume wise has changed also the last couple of years. So, you know, g- going back 10 years ago, um, we were buying almost no um, raw materials from the state of Maine other than fruit. So we were buying, you know, fresh fruit for our wild and funky beers from some small farmers. But that's kind of it. We weren't really buying hops. We weren't really buying grain. Um, there were no malting um, malt houses in the state back then. And that was a little bit of a driver. But I'll also admit that there's a little bit of kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess ignorance is even the right word about the history of small grain growing in the state of Maine. So this is like 10 years ago. Um, you know, just not not necessarily understanding the the years of history of, of growing. Um, barley, oats, wheat in, in this state. And once we kind of got wind of that and, and started understanding a little bit more, talking to farmers, talking to people from organizations like the Maine Grain Alliance here in, in the state, it really kind of was totally eye-opening. And from there, really, you know, slowly slash uh, <laughs> at a higher rate, uh, changed our approach to purchasing um, small grains from the state. Yep. So today, how much would have how much of your grain would be grown in Maine? So we, uh, so we, let's see. This year, we'll probably do about 1.4 million pounds of grain grown uh, in the state. Back in 2016, when we started down this road of, uh, uh, you know, basically to back up, we in 2016 we said kind of made an internal pledge, and then and then. Uh, uh, expanded that pledge to our farmer partners that we would purchase 1 million pounds per year um, of grain grown and processed in the state. And, and in 2016, when we made that decision, we were doing about 60,000 pounds a year. So just a, just a <laughs> tremendous increase oh, in that time frame of how much we were making or how much we were using. Um, and, and so now is that all of your malt or is that half? No, no, uh, we're still buying. I mean, we're still buying uh, a fair bit of malt. It's almost, well, it's not all domestic. We buy um, some specialty stuff from across the bond from Germany and Belgium, but that's really for very specific um, specialty recipes, stuff like that. Um, We're still buying a a decent portion of grain from, um, from Breeze Malting actually, you know, uh, out in Wisconsin, who's been a long time supplier of ours. So, You know, we're, um, we're a pretty good sized brewery, right? So um, I, I actually, the infrastructure is not even, even if we wanted to buy 100% of our grain from the state, uh, we actually probably couldn't. I'm not 100% right. sure that's the case. But when we made that, uh, that pledge in, you know, to buy 2021 to be using a million pounds of grain, and because we were using so little, these farms are also small. Um, the malt houses were small. The, the intention of that, pledge was okay it's going to take time for these malt houses and farmers to grow their business it's going to take time for us to implement these grains into our beer i mean allagash white's our flagship it's we've been making it for a long time and it's not like we're going to just switch overnight to getting ingredients from a different place so we need we needed that time to to um 
you know, play around with it, make sure the quality is where we need it to be, make sure those farms could grow their processes and so on. And if I'm being honest, cost, cost is a big part, you know, like um, buying grain from a small producer costs more money. Um, and as it should, uh, you know, there are smaller outfits, the economies of scale aren't there, et cetera. So, you know, if we were to just switch overnight to buying hundred percent of our grain, it would be pretty difficult financially. So all of those things kind of led us to let's, let's grow this over time for, you know, our best interest, but also the farm and maltster's best interest as well. So you brought up Allagash White. Are you like, are you kind of slowly increasing the amount of local, uh, local grains in it uh, to, to try and slowly shift the recipe or are you trying to maintain the the flavor identical uh and therefore having to tweak uh, because of the different ingredient source yeah we we are certainly trying to maintain the 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 flavor of that beer for sure i mean you know we you know that beer recipe effectively has not changed since um you know rob rob todd first wrote the recipe back in 1995 um now, you know, we're uh, brewers are, you, you know, we're using our cultural ingredients. We have lots of tools in our toolbox as brewers to make process changes. So it's not like exactly the same ingredients are in that beer anymore because, you know, crop crops change and availability changes and so on. But the intention is still at the end for that beer to taste the same way it always has. Um, but again, we've got tools in our toolbox to uh, on our process side. We also have specifications that we can ask of uh, the malt houses. We can say, you know, this, yes, this is the barley of grain that you grow and it works for you agronomically, but we need you to hit these specifications for, you know, uh, all, you know, alpha amylase, diastatic power, um, uh, extract, protein, et cetera, all those things. And they have their own tools in their toolbox to hit those. Right. So that's where um, we can, we can, do both. We can use more grain and still maintain that same flavor. Um, to answer your more question more directly, we are continually increasing the portion of main grown grains in white every year. And some of that is with base malt, um, with malted barley. And, uh, but also white is made, uh, is a wheat beer, of course, uh, and also uses a good portion of oats. So there's a high portion of locally grown uh, wheat and oats in every batch of Allagash White. And that that's continuing to increase every year as well. Right. Okay. Um, you sort of hinted at it, like you referred to your 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 farming partners. I, I was wondering if you could kind of describe how, you know, 2016, you make this pledge. What had to happen with farming partners, with malt houses, with even, you know, trucking or whatever to make, to, to bring us to today? And then yeah. bring yeah. us to tomorrow as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, lots of things for sure. Uh, and again, back to that way we made that pledge was, you know, you can count on us. We don't, we can't tell you exactly how much we're going to increase it every year, but you can count on by in five years from now, we're going to be pur- purchasing this much and use that to help guide, you know, best, like where to source your barley, where to, you know, how to expand your malt house. So we work with two primary malt house partners in the state. There's two in the state. We work closely with both of them, uh, Maine Malt House in Mapleton and Blue Ox in Lisbon Falls. Um, they're each a little bit of a different model. Uh, Blue Ox is, um, purchase, has partnerships with, a, with several farms and they purchase barley to their needs. 
whereas uh, Maine Malthouse also owns their own um, fields and grows their own barley. So they were like a farmer and a Malthouse in one. Um, so each, each company has done different things, but both of them have expanded um, pretty substantially in terms of uh, acreage they're farming, uh, Malthouse capacity, um, storage capacity. And, you know, I am not going to pretend that's exclusively because of Allagash. There's also been a um, just a continual... Uh, increase in local malt purchasing in our state by maybe not every brewery in the state, but many of them. Um, you know, we're certainly by no means the only craft brewer in Maine who is buying a ton of grain from these um, local folks. So it's us, but it's also just a movement towards um, purchasing more locally and recognizing that the quality is there, the you know carbon footprint is substantially lower, the supporting of jobs and expanded acreage is all just a kind of just honestly just a win-win all-around story right um is it fair to, like uh, you kind of hinted at that historically grains were grown in maine maybe that kind of went away and um so in terms of the farmers like how they wouldn't have had the the equipment or whatever to to grow so are are you reviving communities is it is that overselling it or like I think I don't this think, is super cool. So <laughs> I don't think it's totally overselling. Uh, yeah. I think, and again, not just Allagash, but we play a part in it for sure. Yeah. And I think as the biggest brewer in the state, you know, our, um, you know, our platform, our, our ability to talk about it, whether it's on social media or even things like this help raise the awareness. So I think that has as much, I think that is as important as the actual purchasing itself, like just raising awareness that this is a great thing to do. Um, you, you do that with, do you still make 16 counties? We do. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And 16 counties was the first kind of the, we released that at the same time in 2016. And that was a beer built uh, around local malt. So uh, not to go down the rabbit hole of beer development on this podcast, but, you know, typically most beers that we make are created from a, you know, concept first, flavor profile first. Okay. Then let's go source the ingredients to breach said flavor profile. In 16 counties, we almost turned that backwards and said, these are the, the farms we want to support. These are the things they grow. Okay, let's let's take and build a recipe that highlights those ingredients and those flavors. And so that beer is um, 100% uh, main grown grains. Uh, and we, we still make that. We predominantly sell that just here in the state, um, uh, but we still make it and it's still a fan favorite here. It's delicious. Yeah. Definitely something I reach for when I visit Maine. So, good to hear. Um, can you give us a little insight into, you know, I think, I think that the average consumer thinks of malt as as kind of well as a commodity, which I guess you know, yeah. in many respects it is. And so, okay, well, you're instead of buying malt from uh, Maltster A, you're buying malt from Maltster B, and and that's it. Um, but really, there is there are differences. You know, you were talking about diastatic power and, you know, beta glucanase and all that sort of stuff. So like how I, 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 I'm, I guess I'm asking you to explain to, to our listeners how much effort, because I want people to admire how much effort you are putting into this. How much effort does it take to, to substitute grain? Yeah, no, um, you know, I'll, I'll first say that if a consumer uh, who drinks beer thinks about malted barley as a, as 
as a commodity uh, in a, in a weird way, I almost already see that as a win because um, I, I feel like there's so many people out there who think that beer is made from water, yeast and hops. And they kind of forget about <laughs> the grain just because <laughs> hops are, are so elevated to so many consumers about what they contribute. And I think sometimes malt gets forgotten. Um, yeah. So th that's, that's step one is just um, before you even get to talking about it being locally grown, like just, Hey man, you know, beer is made with barley, remember? Um, but uh, for sure, there's just like in hops, there are a whole bunch of varieties out there. There are different types of barley that's grown uh, and then different, areas just like a cascade hop and grown in um in washington state or oregon is going to smell and taste different than one grown in michigan it's the same with barley so you have barley varieties that have different uh, agronomic properties but also flavor and aroma properties and then where it's grown is going to factor into that as well and then of course the malting process adds its own little wrinkles to it as well um, but we we have been big in terms of varieties when, because these farmers uh, are small and they're making their living on them, we we don't stay totally hands on off on the variety they choose, but we do say, look, you need to choose the variety that works best for you uh, in terms of you know uh, yield per acre, um, disease resistance, like those things that are so critical to their bottom line. Um, that's kind of the guidance we've been giving them, but we've also said, look, like, as much as you as you can keep us in, in, um, informed about the varieties you're hoping to grow. And so traditionally it's been mostly one variety here in the state called Newdale. Um, but there are several new varieties that are being grown in the state by a couple of the farms and, and they've been slowly phasing them in, uh, and we'll get, you know, small amounts of this, some of these newer varieties of barley that are grown and malted and we'll brew on our little pilot system and just make sure this isn't, you know, uh, going to produce an overly different flavor profile or any fermentation concerns and so on. So um, that's just a little bit of a window on some of the work we're doing there. Right. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of uh, historic, you know, the last several decades, malt growing and, malt and barley breeding has been uh, focused on uh, extract and extract efficiency, diastatic power. Are you seeing any movement towards uh, either barley barley breeding or malting for more of a flavor where flavor is more of a driver? And where what I'm thinking about is, you know, in the UK, for example, Maris Otter is lauded for its uh, unique flavor, but we don't really talk about that in North America with our barley varieties. No, it's a great question. And I, I do, to answer quickly, say, I do think there is a slow movement in that direction amongst the craft malting community. Um, you know, you're right that barley varieties, the type of barley varieties that a farmer would grow were, have historically been almost hundred percent dictated by, frankly, by Anheuser-Busch um, and the big, the big brewers. They're a little bit less involved, honestly, now that they're, uh, you know, they're not owned by the, the, the Bush family, but um, there's still, you know, there's a certain standard they want. They want extract and they want yield. They want low price. Um, they, and they probably want a uh, high enzyme package too, because it's a, you know, you, those grains are used to make adjunct lagers. Um, but, you know, and we, and we didn't really have even a lexicon to talk about it. And some of the work that Craft Malting Guild has done uh, on, on flavor and on uh, evaluating um, barley flavor and, 
through the hot steep method and some of those things have really, I think, slowly pushing um, the direction towards beyond just what um, analytical measurements are on a, on a certificate of analysis sheet. Let's also talk about the flavors that these grains provide. Um, and that's really relatively no. I think the hot steep techniques only, I don't know, six, six or seven years old, maybe, um, maybe eight. I can't remember exactly, but it's not that old. Uh, and, um, so just even that having even a, a lexicon of flavors to use and a, and a method for evaluation is relatively new. Is there anything you're excited about in the malting that Blue Ox or Maine Mallhouse are doing that you're like waiting for in a couple of years, like rubbing your hands together, like getting ready for new recipes or new barley varietals? Yeah, they, there's, there, there is um, that Newdale variety I referenced is kind of being slowly sunsetted um, because of a long story of copyrights and royalties and some of the stuff that happens in the seed, seed side of things. But mm. um, there are several new varieties that are being introduced in the state that will give us a little bit more diversity of options, which is kind of cool. Um, again, uh, almost exclusively one variety grown in the state for for a while even before the malt houses have been open because i should side note i should mention that before blue ox and main malt house opened uh, there was barley uh, malting grade barley being grown in northern maine but it was all going to canada um for can to get blended into large batches and most of that was you know the varietal selection was being developed by either anheuser bush or canada malting company and um so Farmers in Maine have actually been growing malting grade barley for quite some time. Um, it's only in the last 10 years that um, these two malt houses have come online and kind of expanded the type of malting that's happening up there. But yeah, I'm excited for a couple new new varieties that are coming, uh, going to be planted in the next couple of years. That's awesome. Yeah, because I've seen when last time I was visiting, um, I knew that your commitment to local malt because you had a huge super sack bag of blue ox, which means that you're really taking the local malt and that's a big ass bag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you were taking it really seriously. And it was really cool to see plus 16 counties and all the other things that you do for the main economy is always, a, always a joy. So. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, honestly, working, working with, uh, Working with these farmer partners is, you know, honestly, one of the most rewarding and fun, most fun things that I personally get to do here. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, we always make sure to make at least one visit a year up. It's still a, you know, four to five hour drive for us. That to was get my, to yeah, that was my next question. Maine, grown, yeah, so Maine, is, north. Maine is so much bigger than everyone. You don't realize how huge it is yeah. uh, until you visit. And then you're like, oh, wait, there's like most of the state that's... <laughs> just there yeah um so yeah, it's, it's really beautiful country up there uh it's you know it's Arista county is where most of this uh and which is the northernmost county and referred to uh kind of colloquial here as the, the county because it's uh, uh i think it's the biggest county east of the mississippi or something like that oh um, wow so it's a large large area not a lot of people but a lot a lot of farming and really beautiful area up there so that's where almost all of the um, small grain growth is happening. Um, cool. So just to kind of wrap up, um, why should beer drinkers, like obviously supporting local is, is uh, something people want to do. Anything else that beer drinkers should be looking for 
with their local beers or in an Allagash beer? Um, should they be looking for flavors? Should they be uh, talking to their brewers about supporting local? Like what can, what can beer drinkers do? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but, you know, if for beer drinkers who are at, um, you know, their local tap room, their local, local brewery, when they're at the bar, ask like, where did your grain come from? You know, what kind of grains do you use in this? Cause again, it's not a question that is co- as commonly asked as, Oh, what's the latest new hop you're using. So just simply engaging and asking the breweries, like, you know, where, you, where, where is this grain coming from? Because supporting local is a big part of it. Supporting small farms. Um, you know, it's a huge uh, buying your grain from, you know, f- from a, a local producer versus someone that's six, seven, 800,000 miles away is a huge um, sustainability improvement. Um, so there's just lots of good stories to be told around, um, you know, supporting, you know, the closest barley, wheat, oats grower that's uh, to you. You know what I'm going to do is next time I'm at Allagash, I'm going to order uh, a beer and I'm going to say, oh, this tastes like New Dale barley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You really get the New Dale. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So much better than Old Dale. Yeah. Um, anything else Dahana. you'd like to... <laughs> Um, anything else you'd like to tell us about Allagash and cool things going on? Um, yeah, uh, things are, we're, things are going well here. We just recently opened up, uh, a new kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, addition to our, uh, to our tasting room experience on site that we're calling the sellers. So it's, uh, basically like a small, very hands-on tour and tasting, mostly focused on our wild and funky beers that is located in the original kind of brewery that we started in just right, right on site. Um, and so that's, that's open several days a week and is kind of a cool way to see kind of into the, you know, wild and funky and real specialty beers that we're making over there. So that just opened about just a couple of weeks ago. That's the latest new exciting thing we got going here. Awesome. Um, do you want to shout out your socials for people to follow or website? Uh, yeah, so I'm not the big social guy, but yeah, okay. <laughs> you can find us on all the social things, uh, you know, at, at Allagash Beer, so uh, easy to find, but um, awesome. it's not necessarily my thing, but. <laughs> uh, M, did you have any last questions? No, I'm just, every time we talk about malt, it's just so fascinating because it's, I do think it's, it's an afterthought in a lot of casual beer drinkers. I, and I don't think they right. realize how. It's the so I mean that's what that's what the adage it's the soul of the beer, uh, and it's it really is incredibly important. It's so cool to learn the backstory of where it comes from, especially seeing people use local, um, local malt is awesome. I'm very yeah. pleased. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I appreciate you guys, you know, bringing this up as a topic. As you can tell, uh, it's something I feel pretty strongly about and passionate about. So I appreciate yeah. you letting me talk about it. Wonderful. Love it. Love it. Thank you for your time, Jason. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right. See ya. So I am. How cool is that? Oh my gosh. You're so excited right now, aren't you? (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) I love this stuff. And we didn't even touch on, like, I mean, we could have a whole separate podcast just on part two, part three, part four, (laughs) part five, part, I feel like we're going to have like a whole show, like a, the malt show. Yes. The malt show. Let's do the malt show. All right. We're going to, yeah, we'll add, uh, we should ask all about beer. If we can start a new podcast strictly on, and they're going to be like, what? <laughs> um, and it was so interesting to hear about the CD business that is malt. 
Mm. <laughs> Boo. I mean, yay. <laughs> okay. Well, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer and visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you have questions for the experts, email podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback, suggestions, or to inquire about supporting this show through advertising. So M, if people want to follow you, where can they reach you? They can reach me at Pints and Panels, which is across all social media platforms, or www.pintsandpanels.com is my website. What about you, Don? I am at the Dawn of Beer across all social media channels. Uh, people can email me at dawn at thedawnofbeer.com. Uh, and please do, because I love talking about beer. Reach and out, malt. Please. And malt. Yes, and, uh, send me yeah. all your malt questions. <laughs> This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>